Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome back into another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me as always from GamecockCentral.com, Colin Taylor. It's been a week of... Maybe strained voices. I feel like, at least for me, I, I, my voice has slowly been going all week. And it's Thursday morning. I'm a little bit sleepy. Slept in this morning. Did not go to the gym. So I'm just kind of dragging. Yeah. And you got back late from Athens last night. So I'm worried that this is going to be a little bit low energy. And the game wasn't even all that exciting last night. But are you are you like alert and ready to go? Yeah. Are you someone that can get by on six hours of sleep? I probably don't look like it. I probably look like I'm strolling into my eight thirty class hungover, which I've never done in college. This uh, is the first time I've seen you wear a hat. Yeah, so this is yeah. I look I look like the hungover college student at this point. But uh yeah, I feel good. I feel good. I have my coffee. I'm I'm ready to rock and there you go. rock and roll. How are you say. how do you take your coffee? Just cream. Just Do cream? like French vanilla creamer and all right. You Keurig. Uh, I have a Keurig. Like a drip, yeah. French press. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I have a Keurig. I don't have the time nice and to easy. Do French press. Yeah. You know. Too much. Too much work on. A I like it. Like this. Don't get me wrong, but when I'm, I, I'm all about efficiency, and when, when I can make a cup in two minutes. Yeah, you can take make a cup while you're doing something else. Yes, which is nice. Which is the nice part. Do you have a brand that you prefer? No, whatever's on sale. Just whatever? Okay. Whatever's on sale. Very good. All right. Well, yeah, you needed it because you got back late from Athens last night, but you were in Athens. South Carolina won convincingly, more convincingly than the 75-59 to scoreline would indicate. This is another wire-to-wire win for South Carolina. You know, just another SEC game, another opportunity for South Carolina to clear the benches at the end of the game and not because there was a brawl, but just because they were up by a million points. Never really competitive this one. Georgia couldn't score. South Carolina's defense was absolutely stifling. The offense, I, I wouldn't even say was like humming necessarily. They had some nice stretches, had some really nice plays. The ball movement looked good and crisp for the most part in stretches of the game. Um, another game where they probably could have scored 90 but took their foot off the gas a little bit. But Carolina took care of business. I expected Carolina to win this game. I thought they would. Certainly, obviously, thought that they could. Didn't necessarily think it would happen like this, but I don't know why, because they've done this many times against inferior teams in SEC play. Yeah, I mean, if you had told me Georgia wouldn't hit a field goal for the first, would hit one field goal the first 15 minutes of the game, had five points at the five-minute mark of the first half, I would have said, man, that got ugly pretty damn quick. And, and South Carolina South Carolina led by as many as 24. Then Georgia went on, like, a, when I'm looking at it, a 10-2 to run to end the game. It was just one of those where South Carolina looked like the better team. They were the better team, and the score reflected as such. Better team, top to bottom, 
what was always going to be the difference maker was Anthony Edwards. So I guess I'll ask it to you like this. Were you more surprised that Georgia didn't hit a field goal for whatever that stretch was you said? I don't remember the exact amount of time. Or that Anthony Edwards didn't make his first field goal until under three minutes to go in the first half. And that even his first points didn't come till like six or seven. He had a couple of free throws. He had two pairs of free throws before he made his first bucket. And the first pair of free throws was like maybe seven minutes to go in the first half or something like that. I, if you had told me that before the game, I would have been very shocked. But within the flow of the game, he looked like he was pressing. South Carolina got out to that early lead. I think it was like 4 nothing, And then they kind of expanded from there. And he just looked like he didn't know what to do. I mean, Completely he, disengaged. Yeah, and... and it's because South Carolina threw a lot of stuff at him, and he was jacking up threes. He was trying. I mean, he didn't look like Anthony Edwards, and that's good. That, I mean, that's give South Carolina a lot of credit for that for devising this defensive game plan to try to. You're not gonna. He's not gonna not score, but to hold him under his scoring average in SEC play, I think is is pretty telling for where this team is defensively. And he just didn't have the ball that much. South Carolina did a really good job of keeping it out of his hands. Uh, my roommate was asking, you know, what number he was after, you know, the first five minutes of the game because it wasn't readily apparent which one of these guys was <laughs> supposed to be a top five pick in the NBA right. draft. So Frank Martin said, obviously, before the game, he wasn't going to disclose Carolina's defensive strategy for how to slow down Edwards, which they did marvelously, as well as anybody's son in conference play other than the flu. Yeah. Um, which is not a team, in fact. So Can't good confirm. job, <laughs> good job, Carolina. South Carolina's defense is on par with the flu, <laughs> the flu, influenza. <laughs> um, he also didn't disclose too much after the game, since South Carolina gets to play Georgia again. We want to keep some of those secrets in house, close to the vest. From what you saw, you're keen basketball watching. I haven't watched a lot of college basketball. You definitely know more about basketball than I do. What did you see that Carolina was doing that was so effective in slowing down Edwards, or was it just Edwards not playing well? I think it was a little mixture of of both. Um, His shot wasn't falling from three, which hurt him. And he said it even after the game. He had to drive. And South Carolina is so good on help defense, on dribble drive penetration, that they just couldn't do anything with the ball. And he would turn it over. And they made him look pedestrian. He was inefficient. He missed... Nine of his 13 field goals. Half of his points came from the free throw line, which that's good. But when you're only hitting four of 13 from the field, it's less than good. So they just kind of just threw the kitchen sink at him. Uh, Jermaine obviously matched up on him for the most part in that game. But Keyshawn Bryant defended him for a couple possessions. Trey Hannibal had him for a couple possessions. TJ Moss, when he was in there, if he got switched, guarded him a little bit. Mike Kozar had a great defensive possession against him at the end of the first half. When you're playing a basketball game, you kind of get, when it's matched up like that, you have all these scouting reports, and through the flow of the game, you can kind of tell how a guy's guarding you. Whether it's, you know, he's not letting me go left, not letting me go right, he's sagging here with the help defense, whatever. South Carolina never let him get comfortable in that regard because you're throwing so much at him and everybody defends a little differently and has different strengths and weaknesses. He just never got truly comfortable, looked like, with a plan of attack against whoever was guarding him because there were four or five, six guys that had a defensive possession against him. Yeah, and I expected to see multiple different guys take a crack at him. I thought that would be more of like a, you know, okay, you know, he beat you two or three possessions in a row, now you got to try somebody else. But it was more like wherever he was matched up, like if, if there was a transition opportunity, 
and guys were cross match. It was you know they were they were kind of fine hanging with whoever was on them. I, I remember one early possession where Keyshawn Bryant did a really good job. They were trying to you know get him the ball you know well above the three point line, and Keyshawn Bryant just did a great job you know denying and the ball. I think Georgia turned it over on that possession yeah. too. They traveled. And, so it's like, well, we can't get Anthony Edwards the ball. There's nothing else we can do, said all the other players. That's kind of Georgia in a nutshell. Yeah, no, like, totally. I don't yeah, we don't know. Were you surprised at how much man Carolina played? No. No? I kind of figured they'd play some man. Um, that's their bread and butter. Do I, I? Now, if Anthony had gotten hot and Edwards was hitting, you know, had two, three, four threes mm-hmm. at halftime, then, yeah, you'd probably switch to a little bit more zone. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Right, and it, again, it's that's their base. So I was, I guess, I wasn't surprised to see them start with that. But I heard a couple people say during the week, you know, maybe try a little box in one, maybe just and and just in the interest of throwing different looks at them, like man, and then you know you do you have like five straight possessions of zone, and then you know five straight you know five straight possessions of a two three, and then five straight possessions of a box in one, and then you're back to man just to kind of keep them off balance. They didn't even really need to do that. I just thought we would see more of it. And maybe that's, you know, still in Frank's back pocket for maybe next time if Anthony Edwards is hitting some of those outside shots. Could you imagine a box box in one in college? I mean I've never seen it run I mean Nick Nurse obviously does it well and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But like could you imagine that in college? So you've never seen that in college? I think Frank's maybe run it once or twice. There was a time Earlier this year, and I keep meaning to ask you about it. I think it's come up on my local show a couple times where I swear Carolina ran it for like two possessions. Yeah, with Levesque on the floor. My my roommate like, asked about it. He goes, Why six is... games ago or something. Yeah. and I I would love to see a team just like just roll with it, roll with it, like make that their defensive identity. Where it's like Michigan obviously was one three one for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Syracuse has their their two three Virginia pack line. Let's have a team set up and do box and one. I wonder if that's in his back pocket. I mean, hopefully, for Carolina's sake, I mean, this you don't have to bust enough. it out. This team's good enough, to, I think, to do it. Yeah. Def- the, the personnel to run it. It's amazing how well they've continued to play defensively in the absence of Justin Minaya. Yes. And it hasn't even been, I don't know, it's not even necessarily been like one great contribution kind of covering that up. Like, you know, Frank has still been good. He collected nine rebounds last night. He looked really good, very active on the glass. I don't know. He only scored three points, but one of his best games of the season by far. Dished a couple of dimes as well. Had a steal. Just looked really engaged. Only three fouls. We're used to Frank getting into foul trouble. Yes, that didn't necessarily happen good. last night, which was tremendous. It's like everyone has just elevated their defensive game like 5%. And it's, by and large, been able to compensate for not having Manaya. And they were energetic. Give them credit. They were energetic about it. They were getting to loose balls. They were forcing turnovers. They just looked. I mean, they were flying to the ball. And you didn't see that last week against Ole Miss when Manaya was out. And they kind of took that emotional hit. You saw that a little bit against AM. That's what you, South Carolina defense is kind of predicated mm-hmm. on. And when you do that, you see the results. I mean, they forced, what, 19 turnovers, I think it was? Yeah, 19 uh, turnovers. 19 turnovers. Including, I think it was like 10 in the first 10 minutes when yeah. Carolina absolutely just took that game by its haunches and said, yeah, we are not they, letting you get away from us. And they had 25 points off turnovers to Georgia's four. Like, they got out and they pedal meeting metal went. And that worked against a Georgia. They they found a way. They've done this a lot, and give them credit for it. They found a way to win different ways. They can beat you in the half court, but then if you're gonna if you want to get out and run and space the floor, they can go out there and run and space the floor too. So, so that's like what, that's what they one do. and a quarter points per possession in terms of the transition opportunities that Carolina is able to score on. Meanwhile, it's like 
a third of a point per possession for Georgia. Yeah, it's it was bad. four transition points on. So the transition defense, excellent. We could talk about that, but for me, that the disparity in the transition game last night, obviously this was the AJ Lawson game. The yes. he's officially back. He's been playing better. He's been back, but this is like the oh yeah, now I'm going to be the best player on the court. A lot of that was those transition opportunities. I haven't seen AJ push the pace like he did last night since like I don't know midway through non-con play. Even though he's been playing better. This was the AJ that finished the freshman season looking like someone that had NBA potential and someone that showed flashes of it early in the season. I mean, he didn't care. He had he had one on twos. He had two on threes where he was at a disadvantage, and he was just going to the rack. He was getting fouled. He was finishing. He was pushing it. That was the difference. He set the tempo for this game. I know Jermaine Kusnard's the mouthpiece. Mike Kozar had a great game. Last night was AJ Lawson's show. He was spectacular. 20 points, 7 of 10 shooting, 2 of 4 from 3, 4 of 5 from the free throw line, including... Um, getting fouled, taking a three-pointer early in the game. Four rebounds, two assists, three steals. Wait for it. I need to put music underneath this because it's so beautiful. Just like a choir of heavenly angels or a drum roll. No turnovers. Boom. AJ, great work. Continued continued great work not turning the ball over. Yeah, and compared to the NBA lottery pick and Anthony Edwards, who went 16 points, decent comparison there, on 4 of 13 shooting, 0 of 7 from 3, perfect from the line, 8 for 8. Only two rebounds, one assist, one turnover, one block, minus 22. And Lawson was a plus 16 last night. I don't know how many of his points came in transition or how many of the opportunities that he created for him and his teammates came in transition, but it was just that is where he's at his best, and it was just great to see him get back to it last night. Yeah, I mean, that's what you need from AJ, and I think I wrote it in my instant analysis when he's aggressive – Shockingly, his game goes along with it, and you saw that a little bit. The efficiency was fantastic. 7-10 oh. shooting. Uh, his backcourt partner, Jermaine Kuzner, had another good game. Obviously had a ton of defensive responsibilities. I don't know what the breakdown is, but I would guess probably 60% yeah, of the possessions yeah. that Edward was on the floor with Kuzner. Kuzner was guarding him, so not surprising to see his production take a little bit of a dip. He was still able to get to 14 points, just about his average in conference play. Not as efficient necessarily as you'd like. 5 of 13 from the floor. He did hit three of his six three-pointers, made his free throw, three rebounds, four assists. He did have three turnovers, but he continues to be the one for just one, over one. Um, like the, the amount of one, like I guess last game he was one for one. I think he had three assists and three turnovers against ex- Texas A&M, but he always seems to be, even if it's just a tick, yeah. uh, a little bit over one. Great game for Kusinard. He's good. He's yeah, just good. He's good. That's it. Just a very, very good starting point guard in SEC play. He's got seven more games unless he really drops off over that span of time. I think it's fair to expect him to be in the conversation for all SEC in the preseason next year. Yeah, and it's very rare for Frank Martin to compare a guy who's 19 years old, to a Cinderius Thornwell. And he's starting to do that a lot more with Jermaine. A lot more. And that just speaks. He's not where he needs to be defensively. And Frank Martin said that against after the Georgia game last night. But there's just this F you, I'm better than you kind of air to him that good basketball players have. Um... Hell, he took a shoulder to the head, left the game, came back, and then hit two dagger threes when Georgia was making a run to end their momentum and push their lead back to 16 or 17 or 18 or whatever it was. And 
for the second time this season. He he blew a kiss at somebody. That's his signature move now. He blew a kiss at somebody. He's got to be careful. He didn't he blow a kiss at Auburn? Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they won they this time. Yeah. yeah. They, they won this time. So well, I guess he learned his lesson. I, I asked him about it after the game. I was like, Jermaine. I was like, before we we start, I was like, did you blow a kiss at somebody? And he kind of smiles like, yeah. He goes, I was like, did he say anything to you? And he's like. He like mouthed something. He said something to me. I didn't hear what it was, but I heard him say something. And then obviously steps up and hit it and then blows the kiss. And you need a guy like that on your team. You need someone that's just going to go out there and and play with a little bit of swagger about him. That's why he's the mouthpiece. No, Mike Kosar stared down Anthony Edwards a little (laughs) bit at the end of the first half. Like this team is just, you're starting to see the trickle down effects of what Jermaine brings in terms of just personality. It's 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 bleeding into different guys, and that's that's what a good leader does. That's what a guy like a Sundarius does to a team. And I hate l- using the same breath as Sundarius, who I think is a top, you know, two or three player all time at South Carolina. Um, but he's he's starting to get that kind of air around him. If you are going to have a Cinderius Thornwell type career, having a freshman campaign like this for Jermaine is a great way to start. We can say it like that. We yes. don't have to say he's Cinderius or he's yes. going to be Cinderius, but he's presenting Cinderius like quality. Yes, early in his career, and it's fantastic. And and you're right, like the way that it's spilled over into everybody else's performance. You mentioned Mike Kozar, a little bit of a stare down, seeing that kind of dog, that kind of fight in Mike, which I mean, by and large, has been there this year. He's been more aggressive. In every part of his game, obviously, we talked. We spent a lot of time last time talking about his legitimate candidacy for SEC Defensive Player of the Year. His offensive game continues to evolve and continues to be impressive. How he attacks the rim offensively, he's attacking the boards better than he ever has, and that's and has directly resulted in him having a career high in points, career high in rebounds, career high in just about everything you want to look at. Another decent game for Mike. Another good game for Mike. He wasn't terribly efficient. He only shot five of twelve, but he finished with eleven points. Five rebounds, three assists, a steal, two blocks, only one turnover, only one foul. In 29 minutes, which led the team again, good help defense, good positional defense, basically did everything that he was asked to do. And it's nice that he's been able to settle into kind of 11-6-ish and six-ish kind of territory with really good defense, a steal, maybe a couple blocks or a couple steals and a block. And it's been more than enough to propel Carolina to really big victories, whether it's against, you know, good teams on the road against Arkansas or whether it's just like, you know, 25 point victories. Mike's kind of given you what he's going to give you. And the team has figured out how to not require too much of him. You know, he's already elevated his game and early in the season, he kind of had to for Carolina to win. Now it's not exactly that it's a luxury, but the rest of the guys have figured out how to elevate their games, I guess, both to compliment Mike and allow what Mike does to compliment them. Um, and as much as this was the A.J. Lawson game and as much as Jermaine Cousinard continues to be kind of the heart of this team or the soul of this team, Mike is still the fulcrum you know, of, of all the action that you see, whether it's you know getting that first paint touch, causing the defense to collapse a little bit, creating open looks or open driving lanes for everybody else or everything that he does defensively. It's just been great to watch. Another solid game for Mike. Yeah, and I think that if you told me that he was going to be averaging, let's see what Mike Kotsar is averaging because... If you had told me that at the beginning of the season, I would have said, no way. Ten- or this team's like 23-1. and one. <laughs> Yeah. like uh, He's averaging 10.3 points, 6.4 rebounds, 2.1 assists, shooting 51.5% from the field, and has a win share of three. 
in conference play, he's averaging 10.9 points, uptick, uh, 5.2 or 7.1 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 1.7 steals, 1.3 blocks, while shooting 52% from the field. Good job. Yeah. Good job by you. Yeah. Like, come on. That's that's good. That's that's what you need for my coach. That's what mm-hmm. you needed for my coach or since his freshman year. Mm-hmm. And, and you've only, and you've gotten, but just for like four snippets. games a year. Yeah, he puts it all into one or two little here or there games. Mm-hmm. But now he's doing it consistently over the course of a game. Yeah, I feel or like over the course of the season. Yeah, we're we're almost. I feel bad. I feel like we're a little broken recordy with Mike, but it's just it's like all the same things, but it's all the same good things, and it continues to be. Impressive, and it's not surprising anymore because this is just who he is now. I mean, Carolina's twenty-four games into the season. This is, this is who he is. It's just it's so cool. It's really nice. It's it's part of the reason that Chris Silva is my favorite South Carolina basketball player ever. Not because I think he's the best. Not because I think he's better than Sidarius. Although I think he's already got he's already shown that he has more pro potential in terms of just like the longevity of his career. Like yeah. the most pro potentials of any Gamecock since like Alex English. Because like you know, oh, Ronaldo Balkman uh, says yeah. hello. Yeah. First round pick, Ronaldo Balkman. First round pick, but then I mean, he was like, he's still like one of the most derided like. Oh, I know. Picks. I was just, yeah. I was just giving Ronaldo Balkman a little grief. Yeah, that's fine. We can do that. But yeah, point is, I'm not saying that I think the Silva is better. Although when uh, towards the end of last year, we did kind of a like an all decade show on our local show, and it was like who is you know basically the best player in each respective sport for the decade, and Cinderius Thornwell obviously ran away with men's basketball, and I was like, well. He should win it, but should he run away with it because Chris Silva, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, I'm rambling. I only bring this up to say a huge reason why he is my favorite is because I love watching a player develop from someone that is so raw, so unrefined, to someone that is a you know two-time SEC first-team all-defense and SEC defensive player of the year, you know first-team all-SEC, NBA player. I love the stories of development. And Mike Coates are, while he wasn't as raw as Chris Silva starting, you know, didn't have just like the fun freakish athleticism that just made him a joy to watch from the moment he first stepped on the court. It's just really fun to watch a player transform and become more confident and learn how to do all the little things. And Mike's never going to be an elite athlete. He's never going to be an elite leaper. He just kind of does everything pretty well. He hit two jumpers last night, one from the free throw line, one from kind of like the foul line extended. He just, he just does everything pretty well and quietly He's clearly worked hard to get to this point to improve his free throw shooting, you know, improve his mentality, his aggression, and it it's just a fun story and has been to watch. I mean, like the first three years were almost frustrating because it's like, okay, you know, are you going to get better or not? And then the year that everyone kind of gave up on him getting spoiler better. Spoiler alert, he did. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, he did, and it's just been it's been a blast. Again, different than Silva, but I'm a sucker for those kinds of stories. Yeah, and you, I mean, it's one of those things where you finally saw the the light turn on for him and and whatever puzzle piece was missing fall into place and give him credit he came out and mentally got it together and he's playing better because of it finally got a little bit of a bounce back game from Keyshawn that's kind of what we've been looking for my roommate and I were sitting there watching the game last night he was like you know if, if Keyshawn can do this pretty much every game for the rest of the season you still feel pretty good about Carolina's chances he added 12 and 5 he shot 4 or 5 from the field 4 or 4 from free throw line Good job, Keyshawn. Which is huge, yeah. They they popped the graphic up on TV last night when he was at the free throw line for the first time, and uh, well, my roommate's making a lot of appearances in this podcast. He was like, 
they they fouled him while he was shooting, and then it was like kind of an air ball, and I think Frank would have grabbed the offensive rebound or something like that, and he was like, oh, I wish they just let Frank get the rebound rather than, you know, Keyshawn going to the free throw line because that's zero points. And then it was like he's a 62% free throw shooter on the year, which didn't sound right, Um, but I guess it is because they had the graphic, and he made all four of them. So good job for him. Attacking the glass, big rebounds, steal. Uh, A couple times he elevated for a dunk. One of them he got fouled. Maybe both of them he got fouled. Maybe one of them he just missed. I don't know. For him, he's had you know a couple good games this year. Kentucky, there have been a couple other ones. That's the only one that really sticks out in my mind. Um, not as interested in just like a good 12-5 and five game, but if he can have now like three or four 12-5 games in a row, that's what you're looking for. That's what you're going to need from him. I guess another plus is you know he played 21 minutes. He played pretty good defense. He looked engaged kind of the whole time he was out there. It wasn't as much touch and go as I feel like it has been in some other games, but it's also probably easy to have a good game where you're engaged and look good and look engaged when you're winning by 24 for most of the game Yeah, and playing a very putrid defensive team in Georgia. So that's what you need. That's a good confidence booster for a guy like Keyshawn who needed to see the ball go in the basket. So you feel good about Keyshawn right now when he looked engaged, he looked energetic and Looked very energetic, getting a technical foul at the end of the game. Yeah. That is, oh yeah, what happened? I couldn't. I didn't don't really know. show it on TV. Like they they teed him up pretty quick. He was so he was checking out of the game. No, and he like he like dunked or hit a, like a turn up turnaround layup. Yeah, I think yeah. he mouthed off. Okay, and oh. he got teed up, and then Frank took him out, and then I mean immediately because the where we sit, it's it's kind of like where we sit for at Colonial Life, where you really can't see one half of the court that's blocked by the basket. So mm-hmm. when he did that, it was kind of blocked by us. You saw okay. him turn and say something. You couldn't see what, but the ref was pretty quick to, you know, hit the whistle and Keyshawn I mean, <clears throat> didn't even wait. Yeah. It was like, I'm going to the I got like got to the Yeah, I know it was like six minutes to go or maybe that, less. Man. Yeah. I mean like but that needs to stop. Frank was very not happy with him about that. But going four for five from the field, he needs to get to the free throw line. He was averaging he's after last night, he's averaging 2.5 free throws a game in mm-hmm. SEC play, which is – that needs to be better. Yeah. Do you happen to know what he averaged last year, or can you access that readily? Okay. Because, yeah, um, that, that's got to be – especially if he's actually going to make his free throws, he needs to be getting to the line. And that also is just sort of a sign of a of a aggressive mentality. Yeah, you, you, you see it with more. A.J. Lawson a little bit. Yeah. Um. So in SEC play – Last year, Keyshawn averaged two, a little bit less, 2.3 free throw attempts per game. Hmm. Marginal. He's averaging. Yeah. So you'd like to see that number go up to maybe four or five, Definitely. five or six, six or seven, um, compared to what it is right now. Right now he's averaging 2.8 free throws per game. Hmm. And if Shoot. he's if, – yeah, like last night was was kind of what you need. It's, it's four free throw attempts in 21 minutes. If he plays another 10 minutes, that gives him another two free throws. Six free throw attempts in 30 minutes is probably about where he needs to be. And he hit 80% of his shots, Mm -hmm. which is what you want from him. And he's not taking – he took good shots within the offense. Hauled in a lot of offensive rebounds. It feels like he's settled uh, like a few too many times. Yes, He didn't have an offensive rebound, but he got a few putbacks here or there, had a dunk. You need that energy from him Mm -hmm. because AJ is going to – apparently now, AJ is going to give you – 18 to 20 every night. Yeah. It's not always going to be on 7 to 10, but AJ has, has kind of settled into that. Well, it's it's kind of a it's a luxury now for Carolina because you're getting 
34, 36 points a night out of your backcourt, like pretty comfortably. Yeah, and for everyone was kind of in that slump at the beginning of the year, and Frank even acknowledged it, and now everyone's kind of playing pretty darn well right now. So you're getting good minutes from Lawson, from Kusnard, from, from Frank. Good I mean, game, Frank. Two straight good games. Plus 11. So from Kotsar, from Bryant. And I led mean, the team in rebounds to J- Frank. Jalen McCurry finished with eight points and five rebounds and two assists. And a steal and a block. And a steal and a block and two turnovers. One for, one to one. Man, he is, uh, you know, I thought it was Frank because Frank fouls a lot. I also thought it was Wilden's because he tied the record for shortest amount of time to foul out with Chris Silva. But Jalen McCreary is definitely the spiritual successor to Chris Silva in a couple of ways. One, really like fascinating athleticism. Um, he, he, I could very much see him turning into a Chris Silva type of player where it's a lot, where it's you know energetic rebounding, shot blocking, impressive, versatile defense. I don't necessarily expect him to have the same kind of offensive game that Chris Silva did by the end of his career because you could never necessarily project that kind of right. development. But the real thing that reminds me of Chris Silva for McCreary is how many I don't want to say totally unlucky because he doesn't always put himself in the best positions but there's a lot of contact that I feel like referees let go for a lot of other players but never for Jalen yeah (laughs) he seems a little bit like two or three of the fouls last night he had four and two or three of them I was like man that really didn't look like a foul yeah and they're just some guys that Chris Silva went into the game and the referees knew this guy's a habitual yeah it was a foul for him checking in yeah, I mean, they just, some guys have that reputation and they get fouls because of it. That They don't get the benefit of the doubt because the refs know, okay, this guy's a habitual offender. Mm-hmm. And I think, fair or unfair, Jalen kind of gets that moniker. And he plays so, out of control is not the right word, but. He's a little wild. Bull in a china shop at a, a few times. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't help his cause when he's going to try to defend somebody and looks out of control the refs are probably going to call that foul on you yeah now if he can do that and still like stay in the game for 20 minutes and still put up an eight and five with a couple of assists and a steal and a block and while shooting 50 percent from the field yeah well otherwise good positional defense there was a block on, on i think it was on anthony edwards it looked an awful lot like a charge and you wonder if it weren't anthony edwards would they have actually called that a block because it looked like he was in position but point is he, he still has a, a huge piece of his game not fouling and actually staying on the court that needs to be resolved, and he's still finding ways to be very, very productive. He's so active around the glass, had a nice putback. Had a, it was a big putback jam, and I feel like he had another putback where he just you know cleaned up the rebound and yeah. uh, the offensive glass and then just like kind of laid it in over the top. But he's a really, really interesting piece for Carolina going forward. Yeah, and I think that you're optimistic, even this season and, and on, that he can develop into a guy that, can start for you as maybe a sophomore and definitely as a junior or senior, go out there and earn you know, 30 starts in a season because, I mean, he's playing like he's a very, very impact player moving forward for the South Carolina. Frank's been really good. Otherwise, I think Carolina might be – I think Frank Martin has said that he likes Wildens and Jalen coming off the bench just because yeah. it's more comfortable for them now. But when you're projecting ahead, we did this a little bit in the last podcast, you know, what is Carolina going to look like next year – Obviously, you think probably Wilden is going to slide into the micro role just because he's a more traditional big. Yeah, and, and you Frank want, and you have some need to have some rim protection, right? And, and Frank is a guy that has experience. He's he's shown flashes of having a good offensive game. He's just, he's never really had the opportunity 
to do it consistently. So that's kind of an interesting piece of the puzzle. But if South Carolina wants to roll out there with a, like a really defense-heavy starting five, like I think that Jalen is a, you know, even though Frank's got a whole, I mean, uh, just a whole year. He's a sophomore. Yeah. Uh, like a whole extra year experience, and he's starting now. And Frank's even playing well. I feel like Jalen is even still making a pretty compelling case for being a starting quality player. Yeah, and how good would it be to have a guy like that coming off your bench as a sophomore, you know? Uh, it's kind of like that clip from LeBron when Kawhi checks in in the finals where, like, yeah, he's, look, like, he's like, shit. shit. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like when that's checking in off the bench and you have a guy like Trey Hannibal could be coming off the bench, like, hell, like, mm-hmm. that's that's a pretty good lineup that doesn't even get to start. So I know we're looking way, way, way ahead, and there's still seven games left, and there's still a lot to play for this season. But you feel good about where the South Carolina basketball program is just in terms of talent for the next two, three years. Now, for Trey Hannibal, 19 minutes last night, just four points. He did have six rebounds, no assists. He did have a steal, a couple of fouls, a couple of turnovers. His minutes load has increased in a way that we had hoped would happen but didn't necessarily foresee. Since SEC play started, he's only had two games where he played single-digit minutes. All the rest, he's played double digits. He played... 13 minutes against Tennessee, 16 against Vandy, 16 against Arkansas, 12 against Missouri, 18 against Ole Miss, a season-high, career-high, 23 against A&M, and then 19 last night against Georgia. So his workload is increasing. It feels like he's hitting a little bit of a of a freshman wall here at the end of the season, which makes sense. I, th- I don't remember if Frank was talking about it in one of those like mic'd-up segments during the game, yeah, or maybe it was after the game, where he was just talking about you know how much of an adjustment it is for these young players to you know all of a sudden be playing... 31 30 plus you know high level basketball games and you know for 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 them like a relatively condensed schedule it's kind of hard like the physical toll on it and if you see a guy's minutes ticking up it makes sense that his productivity would drop off a little bit but you look at you know a, a let's see we'll just do a like a, a three game stretch from Vanderbilt where he had four points four, uh four rebounds five assists three steals uh, the next game against Arkansas, he scored 11 points, had three rebounds, and then Missouri, where he was three rebounds, two or three points, two rebounds, and assist. Um, like he had a nice stretch in there. Um, you know, even that Kentucky game before, he was able to grab four rebounds in just nine minutes and play pretty good defense. And then since then, it's been five points, three rebounds, no assists, a turnover, uh, three points, four rebounds, no ass- or one assist, two turnovers, four points, six rebounds, no assist, two turnovers, unlike. On 0 of 1 shooting, 2 of 3, 1 of 7, 2 of 7. The productivity, the efficiency has dropped off a little bit. I think it's fair for that to be, you know, expected as a freshman. But do you think that's all this is? Just sort of a little bit of a freshman wall? Yeah, I think so. And you look at you look at some of the guards he's played, you know, over the last 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 games. He's played Saban Lee, Mason Jones. He's played, Missouri didn't have that many good guards, but Drew Smith, pretty okay. Brian Tyree and Devontae Shuler. Texas A&M doesn't have any good guards. And then Anthony Edwards and Wheeler. You're playing some good competition, and, and yes, he needs to be more efficient, and yes, he's probably hitting a wall a little bit, but this is just a freshman having some, some growing pains in the SEC, and the talent's there. It's just a matter of kind of getting his feet under him and continuing to for the game to slow down because it still looks like he wants to go a million miles an hour like mm-hmm. he did in high school. And Frank's still trusting him. Yes. He's he's playing more minutes now than he ever has, so even though the efficiency's dipped a little bit. 
Um, I guess we should just uh, trust that Frank is trusting him. Yeah. Uh, Jairi Bolden had a not very good game, just one of six shooting, one of four from three. Three points. He did have one turnover. Uh, did he have an assist? Yeah, he had one assist. Not a great game for Jair, but nice for Jair to be able to have a nothing kind of game off the bench in South Carolina, still win by 16. Finish plus five. There you go. Good job, Jair. Way to finish plus five. Uh, TJ Moss did play 15 minutes, did not score. One assist. Hey, he didn't turn the ball over. Plus five. Plus five. <laughs> there you go. Uh, who wasn't plus in this game? Anybody? Uh, maybe, maybe some of those bench mob guys. guys. Uh, Trey Anderson was not. Yeah, because Carolina was up by like 21, and then all those guys came in, and Georgia went on a little 6-0 run or something to finish the game. Hannibal was minus 8. Ooh, minus 8. Nathan Nelson, minus 5, and Mike Green, minus 1. Bummer. Okay. Well, comprehensive victory. Hannibal was in there late, too, I want to say. Yeah, he was in that that last group. But Carolina won almost every single category in this game. Obviously, the most important one, the score, 75-59. They... Outshot Georgia by a significant margin. They shot 44.5% from the field, about their average. Georgia shot 34.5%. Again, stalwart defensive performance from Carolina. Uh, 35% from three for Carolina, 12.5%. Three of 24 for Georgia. Uh, Georgia did win the free throw shooting battle. Carolina 11 of 19. Georgia 20 of 20 26. There you go, Carolina. 58%. That's more what you're used to. Get out yeah. of here with this 75% nonsense. Get, yeah, giving everybody hope. Uh, but they Car- won the game. They did. Shooting 11 for 19. And they crushed the glass. 45 rebounds this game for South Carolina. It was, it was brutal. To just 33 for Georgia, including 14 to 8 on the offensive glass. South Carolina, 17 assists to just 9 for Georgia. 17 assists on 29 mid-baskets. That's a good number. They were like 4 for 4 with their first ones. Then then went through kind of a cold spell and then just... And there were some really nice sequences where it was just like... Their ball movement was great. You know, like a couple, like three, like a sequences of three or four passes leading to a bucket where the ball doesn't even hit the ground. And it just, I mean, it's beautiful. It's like, boop, 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 boop. Yeah. like the Mike Coates are passed to AJ early yes. with like oh, in the yeah. dunk. Mm-hmm. I just sat there and I was like, holy yeah. hell. Like that was. Uh, Jalen's assist, or I guess he had two. So one of his assists was a beautiful little give and go with AJ. You know, he's standing there on the block. He catches it and then just perfect little pocket pass in between his defender and AJ's defender who was right on his hip. And then a nice finish from AJ, but it was. A lot of really nice sequences. So 17 assists on 29 made baskets. Carolina had 10 steals to just three for Georgia. Uh, three blocks for Carolina. Georgia had four. That was one of two categories where they won, I guess. And then Carolina only turned the ball over 12 times, forced 19 of them for Georgia. And we talked about the fast break points. Comprehensive, dominant. Anything else to say about Carolina smoking Georgia and Stegman? No. Good they, win? they were good. Yeah. What, what, was anyone at the game last night? Anyone in terms of? Like over under thirty five hundred people. Oh God. Uh, um, let's see what their announced <laughs> announced attendance was eighty eight fifty seven. Were there that 8, is inaccurate? People in there? <laughs> that, okay. that is inaccurate. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no. Nope. Probably closer to four. Okay. Three or four. Right. So maybe a little. Maybe it got a, loud at times. For but, what? Yeah, Michael Hardman. That guy. They. they uh-huh. Michael Hardman was yeah, there. Yeah. That was their. That was the biggest cheer of the night. Super Bowl winning wide receiver, Miko Hardman. That was the biggest, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, that was the biggest cheer of the night. And that happened like with at the under-8 timeout the first half. Y'all, if you haven't, go look at the uh, the game flow chart on ESPN. It's nice. <laughs> it's just two parallel lines that are very far apart for the entire game. The, um, the win probability at Kid Palm is just as interesting. Uh, the win probability before the game said Georgia had a 53% chance to win. Georgia they were a favorite was two in that and game. A half. Yeah. Georgia two and was and like a half. two and a half win yeah. favorite. Yeah. Uh, it's because of Anthony Edwards and because Road. Home. 
But I also said, you and I said very early this year on this podcast, don't bet. South don't Carolina. bet on South Carolina basketball because it's. But just... I also said on my radio show yesterday, plus two and a half for the better team feels good. If you have a gambling problem, one get help, but two, the better Hammer. team getting <laughs> getting plus two and a half. Hammer it sounds nice. I'm, I'm glad it didn't lead people astray. If anybody, I've took never my non advice. I never gamble in games. I, that's just. Definitely not. And we'll definitely never gamble on the team that either you cover or you support. That's always a bad idea. Yeah, and like I know that even if I did start to gamble, I would never do it on South Carolina. Um, no, because I cover them. But um, no, I just I no, nope, 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 nope. All right, no. Carolina's got Tennessee on Saturday. They're fifteen and nine and seven and four in conference. Last time they played Tennessee, they should have won. Yes, they had the they played terribly, and they had the ball at the very end of the game. With a chance to win it, and AJ Lawson went full midseason slump, head down, head down, go charged. Whoops! Carolina finished that game with 19 turnovers. They shot 20 of 61 from the floor, two of 13 from three point land. They missed like they went what like three of 20 on dunks and layups. It felt like yeah, they were they were just missing everything. So on the surface, winnable game that was up in Knoxville. Carolina can't really play worse than that. Justin and I had zero, so you don't have to worry about making up what he did in the first but game. I will say this about Justin in that game. He was really, really good defensively. Ten rebounds. Ten um, rebounds. Two steals, blocks. three blocks. Yeah. AJ Lawson, 0 of 7, but he did make four free throws, so he finished with four points. That was before Jermaine Kusnarb was injected into the starting lineup. But he did finish with 15 points, 6 of 17 off the bench, added a couple assists, a couple steals, a couple rebounds. But anyway, you cut it. Not a great game for Carolina up in Knoxville, and still had a chance to win it. So you say, okay, well, there you go. Now Carolina's really got a chance to win it. Tennessee, not super. They've lost four of their last six, but including to A&M. But they did just beat Arkansas by 21. Convincingly at home. Wow. Yeah. So the back half, you can also say you know it's hard to beat the same team twice. This feels a little trappy for Carolina. Yes. South Carolina went 10 for 27 in that. On 10 for 27 on dunks and layups? Uh, just on layups. They went 12 of 30 on dunks and layups. Wow. Okay. But yes, trap game. I'm sorry. I, was, I got caught. Yeah, why, why does it feel like that? Because when you, you think of South Carolina and you look at the schedule, you're like, well, oh, hell, we got two games against Mississippi State and, you know, LSU and, and another game against Anthony Edwards and Georgia and Alabama, you know. that This stretch coming up, at State, LSU, home for Georgia, at Alabama, home for Mississippi State. That's the part where you look at and you go, oh. And then you kind of forget about this Tennessee team that's ranked in the top 60 in Ken Palm and has a chance on any given night to go out there and, and beat a beat anybody, even on the road. So they're higher in Ken Palm than Carolina? Yes, by just five. No, by 15. Okay. They're right. 58 and South Carolina's 73. So this is going to be the... Net and possibly Ken Palm Ramp podcast, so I'll save I'll save this for that. So that's curious. Yes, Tennessee is fourteen and ten. Their best win of the season is beat BCU top yeah. fifty. Um, is Washington still top fifty? They beat Alabama. No, Washington's fifty fifth in Ken Palm. Okay, beat Alabama and beat Arkansas. So you got three top fifty wins. Okay. Um, South Carolina, on the other hand. 
It's a great podcasting. We love doing live research. Yeah. And by um, we, I mean you, because I don't have... Virginia is a like fringe it. top 50. They're 51st in Ken Palm. Uh, Kentucky's obviously a top 50 team. Arkansas. South Carolina has, technically speaking, two top 50 Ken Palm wins. A fringe one in Virginia. Um, so pretty... These two teams are pretty evenly matched, and they've always they always have been, as you know, Rick Barnes and Frank Martin play similar styles, and um, yeah. So Carolina, I mean, they, it's weird because they have shown that they're a much better team than a lot of these teams in the SEC, just more talented, better, and that's why they beat Texas A&M by a million. That's why they beat Georgia by a million. That's why they beat Missouri by a million. That's why they beat Vanderbilt by a million. They're better than those teams, and yet they can obviously look like losing to pretty much any team on any given night. So it's not outrageous to say that Carolina and Tennessee are close to each other because realistically, they probably are. Maybe you could even say Tennessee's more talented. It's a very much a, a toss-up kind of game. But I don't understand why South Carolina at 15-9 and nine and 7-4 and four in conference is 15 spots lower than Tennessee at 14-10 and 10 and 6-5. and five. And Carolina has better wins than Tennessee. And yes, you could say Tennessee has the head-to-head, but that's a game that literally comes down to a buzzer beater or a buzzer beater that should have been there are a lot more. This obviously has to do with how they play the non-con. Um, Tennessee is better offensively than South Carolina is. Um, not by you know by a little bit. We're talking about you know a point and a half per hundred possessions. Um, it's just how they play non-con. When you talk about them in terms of South Carolina's first in defensive efficiency in the SEC, Tennessee is fourth. South Carolina is seventh in offensive efficiency. They're eighth in offensive efficiency. Tennessee is seventh. I mean, this is just South Carolina's fifth in effective field goal percentage. Tennessee's sixth. It's just such a close. All of it is just so marginally. One team is marginally better than this team in one thing, and Mm -hmm. the other one's better at this. So it's like Tennessee just plays so much slower. So now South Carolina can control the tempo like they did against Georgia. And play at their pace, they feel good. All but. right, well, let, let's keep doing this because we're here, and then we can wrap up talking about Tennessee. Are we going to do it? Florida, okay. the Florida Gators. So when you look at bracketology right now, which I'm not someone that's like, hey, I'm going to look at bracketology in August because that's right. stupid. Even sitting here on February 13th, it's like still very speculative. Yeah, they but still got seven games to play. They still have seven games to play. A lot is going to happen. Yes. But it's at least worth looking to take the temperature. Right now, there are five SEC teams that are projected to get in the tournament, and Florida is considered a lock. Mississippi State is one of those like last teams in. South Carolina not even really in the conversation, which is right. fine. You which know? is fair at this point. I it's think. fair. It's fair. There are a lot of things that affect that. There are a lot of things that are going to continue to affect that. Just because Carolina's not a bubble team now doesn't mean that they have no chance. But why, other than where they were ranked in the preseason, is Florida a lock at 15-9 and and 7-4 and in conference? Do those numbers sound familiar? They should because that's exactly what South Carolina is. And what are Florida's marquee wins? Let's see. They lost to Florida State. Xavier. They beat Xavier. They lost to Butler. And their next best win, I guess they did beat Auburn. Providence is an okay win. Beat Alabama in overtime, in double overtime. Beat Auburn. Is that a better resume than South Carolina? Maybe they don't have the bad losses. The only reason they're, yeah, the bad losses are but the things. But the bad anchor. losses are the difference between an automatic, guaranteed, locked 10 seed and a team that isn't even in the has work to do category? 
Are we shocked that the net's stupid? No. <laughs> okay, so explain, uh, I guess, before before the rant. I just need to know, I know, I know pieces of it, but explain to me, you can be very sarcastic if you want to, but I just like oh, actually need to know how the net works. Right. What is the net? The net is a the metric that the tournament uses to determine whether a team is worthy of making it into the prestigious field of 64. 68. It, 68. Whatever. Um, 7,000. Yeah. So you... They they take into account a lot of different things. Efficiency is one of those ones that they really harp on. They split the teams. You have four tiers of, of wins. You have a quad one win, which varies based on where you win the game. Which So, like, a quad one win at home is just one through 30 in the net. If you beat a team one through 30 in the net, it's a quad one win. One through 50 on a neutral court, it's a quad one win. One through 75 on the road, quad one win. So, it splits it up like that. And... South Carolina. So let's say, I don't know, Clemson. You beat Clemson, who is currently 83rd in the net. You beat Clemson on the road. That's a quad two win. Close to a quad one win, though. Yes, close to. They, I think they were at one point. Yeah, they, they were for a little bit. And if yeah. they, if so, they have to go up eight spots, and that will once again be a quad one win for South Carolina. Yes. Kentucky, when they beat Kentucky, slid down to like 33rd in the net. So there was a time where the Kentucky win at home and the Clemson win on the road looked like the same thing to the net. Why? Yeah, no. Um, It's dumb. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really – it takes into account efficiency. So how a team plays over the course of a game. So let's say South Carolina plays really, really well offensively demolishes, I don't know, a Georgia team by 16 points. Sound familiar? Oh, yeah, I kept saying 15 because I'm stupid, but yeah. it was 16. 16 points, let's say. Margin of victory is also something they take into account, and efficiency is something they take into account. The margin of victory only goes up to plus or minus 10. Hmm. So if you beat a team by 10 points, it, the net looks at it as the same as beating a team by 45 points. But your efficiency numbers when you beat a team by 45 points are probably a lot better than when you beat a team by 10 points. Mm. So you're putting these two things on scales that are just uneven, and it can skew the data because of it. That's dumb. So how does a team get a net ranking? Where does that come from? I know you said like, so they something have, has to do with efficiency and, and record and margin of victory, but... They have an adjusted win percentage that okay. they use. Um, so a win at home... Wins and losses on it. So if you win on a neutral site, it's plus one in your adjusted win percentage. You lose on a neutral court, it's minus one. One for one on a neutral court. You win at home, it's plus 0.6 added to your adjusted win percentage. You lose at home, it's minus 1.4. Win on the road, plus 1.4. Lose on the road, minus 0.6. So... It's stupid. And, is it based on and opponent's so record like, and like the record of your opponent's opponents? I'm trying to figure yeah, out why like, Georgia, Georgia's top. I mean, excuse me, Florida's top fifty, right? Yeah, in net. Oh yeah, yeah. they're what like thirty something? Forty eighth. Oh, they're forty eighth. I think. Hold on. Command effingness. Thirty eighth. 
38. Okay, so Georgia... Or, God, there were six spots last night. South Carolina did... They're 65th in the net now. Okay, so now if good. someone come, If Tennessee wins on Saturday, that's a quad one win for Tennessee. If South Carolina stays in the top 75. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's contrived, stupid. but I'm trying to figure yeah. out how that's a compliment for South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> they're now a road No, no, no. Quad they're, one they're, moving, they're moving in the right direction. Yeah. They were... When I pull up my fancy... They were like... Wait, did they go up that much last night? I feel like they were like 74. Well, they had a defensive efficiency of 80.1. That's going to help your... Net so ranking. that on a one game basis can move you that much? Oh, it swings so much, and that's the oh, problem gosh. with it. It, it. This late into the season with so much sample size, you're swinging that much. There's that much variance. Can Stupid. we say that Florida beating Auburn at home and South Carolina beating Kentucky at home are roughly equivalent wins? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Both are top twenty five teams. Both are. Yeah. Even though Florida beat Auburn by more than South Carolina beat Kentucky, how much? How much? Added weight does that give Florida? Because Florida bit, actually a won the game by weight. twenty-two, but it would only, would only count as a ten-point win, is what you're telling me? Yeah, in the eyes of the net. Okay, but not in the eyes of the efficiency, which is one of the biggest parts of the net, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Okay, all right, so that makes sense then, if you say that that that's why it weights more because of the net, right? Because of the efficiency ratings that go along with it. But South Carolina beat Virginia very comfortably in Charlottesville. Meanwhile. Florida's other best win is probably Xavier, and they won that one by five, and that yeah. was also at home. But South Carolina, their efficiency numbers weren't spectacular in that Virginia game. In the Virginia game? game? Okay. So is it fair to say that, that those two wins combined would probably be roughly equivalent? Even if Carolina was less efficient, it was on the road and therefore should count for more and was a bigger margin of victory? You'd think. Okay. I mean, just stupid. So all of it. So I guess I don't know. Maybe the two losses. See, really now you're getting just to... as frustrated as I am. No, I <laughs> am, and and I'm I'm well. Maybe I'm missing the point. And like those two bad losses for Carolina and Stetson and Boston are enough to drop you thirty points in the net. But yeah, I mean, when you look at the efficiency numbers there, but Florida lost to Missouri. Missouri's bad. Let's um, I don't. I don't is, is Connecticut bad? Connecticut's probably bad, right? I haven't looked at them for a single second this year. Connecticut is. They're 13 and 11. Okay, so they're not very good. And but, Florida lost to them, too. That's different than Stetson, and it's different than Boston. But but they lost to Connecticut on the road, and they lost to Missouri on the road. So it hurts less than the net. Oh, gosh. There oh, are, gosh. yeah, and because South Carolina lost to those two teams at home, it drags that net down. It, it, that adjusted win percentage, you get a minus 1.4. You get two minus 1.4s in non-con play. South, Carolina, South Carolina's lost four home games. So is there like an aggregate score? Like if South Carolina is sixty five in net, is that because their their total their like their high score is like six thousand four hundred and twenty five, or something? I don't know. I'm is looking at number? I'm looking at this right now. So they got a win on the road last night. Their adjusted win percentage is one point five five, which is slightly over one after the road win. So um, that helps getting road getting wins on the road. They're sixth of the season, by the way. Hmm. Which, kind of which leads the SEC. Leads the SEC. Uh, that's good, but when you have one, two, three, four home losses, that drags that down a little bit. So your, I say net, but your margin there, your your differential is plus two, just in terms of that, because you have four home losses and six road wins. Hmm. And your, yeah, and you one of your road or one of your home losses was to a um, Stetson team that is currently. Better in the three hundreds, better, but two hundred ninety third. Oh, okay, they're top three hundred. There you and go. Boston is one hundred seventy third. 
Wow. But saying like top 300, that's like Clemson football logic. There it's like, th- yeah, there are 353 teams in yeah. Division I basketball. But, you know, that, that's, that's what Clemson football fans say. They're like, oh, well, Clemson has more wins against the top 76 teams in the country than anybody. It's like Carolina. Look at all those wins against top 300. We're moving goalposts. Cut off. Yeah, exactly. We're moving goalposts. Goal goal exactly what it is. So, is in your estimation, well, actually, I'll ask it like this. What is the difference between the net, and this is what, your three or four of the net, and the RPI? Yeah. What's the difference between those two? I don't know, like, the full differences. The net puts a little bit more added weight on quads, um, splitting them up into tiers instead of saying, you know, because I do agree that it, to a degree beating Virginia on the road is a little bit more impressive than beating another top 50 team at home. Yeah. I mean, I, look, quads are important. Never skip like day, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to say that to split these teams into tiers and have different tiers for different things, it's a little different. It's it, the RPI is a little bit easier to understand. I, I like using a little bit more of the efficiency metric. If you're going to exclude the plus minus ten thing, in terms of margin of victory, margin of defeat. But now teams, it encourages teams to run up scores, and that's what I don't like. And the, the RPI never really did that. So because of the importance the, of efficiency numbers, because of the importance important of efficiency stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I think it's, it's obviously imperfect. Nothing you're going to throw out there is truly perfect. Ken Palm's not even perfect. Um, like they gave Georgia a 50, whatever chance to win the other day. And, and, and yeah. And probably you're giving Carolina a similar chance to beat Tennessee. On yeah. Saturday. South Carolina has a 58% chance to beat Tennessee. Okay. So a little bit higher than yeah. Georgia had to beat Carolina last so, night. Yeah. Now, do you, if, you can't use. You have to find a nice merge between the Ken Palm numbers and the baseball or basketball reference numbers. Baseball season starts tomorrow. <laughs> if you think it looked like a hungover college student now, <laughs> talk to wait. me. Talk to me on Wednesday or talk to me on Thursday when I'm back from Mississippi State. Yeah, I will. I will talk to you uh, on Thursday. I guess so, we'll have to. Oh, you're you're going to Starkville? Should be cool. Very good. Well, then we'll uh, plan but, on recording yeah. later Thursday or maybe Friday morning. We'll figure it out though. But the net's stupid. The net is stupid. That that wasn't as fiery as I was expected, but that was very I can helpful. Drop, I can drop an f bomb if you want to. Then that's fucking stupid. You know, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like like I there can, we go. I can get, now we can e tag it. I can which get we're probably gonna have to do anyway. Um, no, I I appreciated your measured response because I I feel like I understand it better now too, and I understand why it's foolish. Yeah, and so Carolina needs to needs to defy that. Yeah, and you're looking at teams now. You only have a few more chances at quad one wins uh, at Mississippi State, LSU. Georgia's Georgia was a quad two win, which is good for South Carolina. Georgia um, was a quad two win oh, because yeah, it's on the they're, road. They're like, yeah, 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 and they were they're eighty they're something. Currently, they were ninetieth going into the game. Oh, ninety. Okay, so they're like hundred probably. And slipped to ninety eight, but they're that's still right. That's because quad two cut off on the roads what like one fifty, one thirty, one thirty, one fifty, one thirty something like okay, that. Cool, but it's enough to still be comfortably a quad two win right now. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see what Arkansas is. Granted, Arkansas it's on the, is it's on the road. falling off a cliff that's lately. But, well, but it's on the road. They're 44th, which is still comfortably quad one. Quad one yeah, especially good. on the road. That's good. Um, yeah, they'd have to drop 30 more spots for them not to be. Hmm. So the bottom would li- like almost literally have to fall out from their yeah. season. Um, but it's just stupid, and, and you have only a few more chances. Tennessee would be a quad two win. If they won, obviously, since it's at home, Mississippi State would be comfortably quad one. 
LSU, LSU comfortably club borderline club. right now. They're twenty seventh in the net. Oh right, and that and one being cut at off home? Be thirty. Oh for wow, the, for that, which is why Kentucky slipped to a quad two win for like two weeks. Um, Georgia at home would be a quad. I think it would be quad, like borderline quad two. Like quad two, quad three. Yeah, quad yeah. two, quad three, depending on where they are. Um, at Alabama, probably solidly quad two. Quad one. Quad one? They're 42nd in the net. 42nd? I haven't updated my spreadsheet. You will, and will y'all today. can read it on Gamecock Central. Alabama's 13 and 11. 39th in the net. They moved up yesterday. They're 13 and 11? But Why? They're, because they're freaking efficiency numbers. They have one good win over Auburn. But they're top 40 in offensive efficiency and top 75 in defense efficiency. Their next best win after Auburn is probably... I guess they beat Mississippi State. Rich, early in SEC they beat play. Mississippi State. Do you want another next two best wins? It, were you going to say the Richmond Spiders? They're 60th in net, or 60th in, or 57th in Ken Palm, and Furman is 68th in Ken Palm. They have two hey, other good Dens. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I guess Richmond, Richmond's 18 and 6. Yeah. I don't know. Now I'm like too far down the rabbit hole of, well, who did they beat? Well, who did they beat? Who did they beat? Point is, that's stupid. You I mean, could I drive guess, yourself insane doing that. I, I am. I am in the process of doing so right now. I guess that's good news for Carolina that Alabama can still be a, a quad one win for them because that gives them yeah. and for sure Vanderbilt. two opportunities, borderline three opportunities, depending on what happens with LSU. And then Mississippi State at home would be a quad two, and then Vanderbilt would be, I believe, a quad, quad three or five. Four. Feels like it. Yeah, although they did beat LSU, and they played Kentucky closer than John Calipari would have liked the other night. Quick checklist update for Carolina. Go two and three in your first five games. Check. Done. Go four and one in your next five. Check. Done. Five and three in Carolina's last eight would put them in a position where one or two conference tournament wins puts them in the conversation. Six and two puts them in the conversation. One or two conference tournament wins would put them over the top. Anything better, and you're pretty much going to be in, especially given the quality of what those extra wins would have to mean. So if we say baseline five and three, one down. Carolina now needs to go four and three in their next seven games, and winning against Tennessee, Georgia again, either at Alabama or Mississippi State at home, and Vanderbilt. Those are all, yeah, games that you there should is feel a, There is a feasible, and if South Carolina plays well, do you really think they can't beat somebody? I mean, we just saw LSU lose to Vanderbilt. Yeah, and that was on the road for LSU. I mean, so yeah. coming to Colonial Life, there is. I mean, if if they play well. Then they can they have a chance to beat anybody. They're given a they're projected by Ken Palm, which is not an exact science, obviously. To Ken Palm's 19- been wrong, I think, in every single Carolina game this year. Yeah, that's fair. But they based off of all the analytical right. stuff, and so they're predicting South Carolina to finish eleven and seven in SEC play. Cool. Total. That's that's kind of what, what we and thought. that would make them eleven and seven, and they're seven and four right now. So that means they go four five, and five, or four and three. Hey, that's, that's, that's what we just said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that will put them in nineteen and twelve. So you got to win one game in the tournament for sure. Two gives you a really strong argument. Yes, and, and eleven and seven probably puts you in like the five or six seeds. So you're only getting one by, which is I would guess, good. which is probably good for Carolina. Yeah, yeah, because you need numbers. Yeah, and yeah, you need yeah, um, and that probably puts you comfortably in the NIT. Hey, at least at least the not invited tournament. Yay! But. It's postseason play. It's postseason play. It gives you a chance to have some extra practices. Frank Martin would love that. 
And if he doesn't get into the obviously that's the that's the number one goal. And you're only losing Mike Coates for next year because I'm still not convinced that AJ's going to be gone. And you're bringing in seventh woods. Hold on, you are losing Micaiah Henry. Oh yeah, Micaiah Give him Henry. Some credit. Yeah, you, sorry you have, about that. It's going to create. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this wrapping up on the postseason it, once the season's over. But you're in a very interesting spot if AJ decides to come back. That's a it's a good problem to have for Carolina. Scholarship wise, it's very interesting. Because right now seventh is a walk on. But the promise was, remember, he was going to go on scholarship. Right. Um, and they have two guys coming in in this class signed. And only one scholarship. Could, or They'll have two scholarships because Micaiah and Mike. <laughs> that, that clears up some of the Mike room. Yes. But, yeah, that, that would be Then you have the two bigs coming in and Patrick Uriel and Javon Benson. Wow. And if AJ doesn't leave and stays, then you're kind of in a very interesting spot hmm. with that. All right. Well, we'll save that for the offseason. What happens on Saturday? The net's still stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Death, taxes, net is stupid. Um, I think South Carolina wins. What's the bellwether of Saturday's game? You're still getting 35 points from your backcourt. Bank it. Yes. You're going to have to explain you're bellwether to me because I am. Huh? You're going to have to explain bellwether to me because I am sleep deprived and I'm only. Uh, I think bellwether is just like what's going like like a bellwether is. I sound stupid asking that. Um, no, not at all. Someone else asked me that the other day. I, I think that might be like an uncommon phrase or like an old people phrase or like maybe. Like I say a, a lot of I say a lot of old people phrases, and you can ask my fiance I, about that. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't mean to say uh, <clears throat> old people phrase. Oh no, in no, no, a pejorative no, no. way. I just mean it might be a dated idiom. I I'd, I'd say dated idioms all the time. You can ask my fiance all the time. She's <laughs> like, you sound so stupid when you talk. Oh sometimes. yeah, maybe I say stupid, but um, the, yeah, the like an indicator of how the game goes. Like Mike Kochar is going to give you ten. Jermaine and AJ are going to give you thirty-five. That gets Carolina to forty-five. What do they need to do to get to seventy? Is this a big Frank game? Does Bryant have probably his first? Wait, I'm going to double check this while I'm rambling because I don't know if Keyshawn has had back-to-back games of double digit scoring this year and he in fact has not so is this the first time this year that Keyshawn has back-to-back double digit scoring games probably is this a Trey Hannibal a little bit of a rebound game if South Carolina out rebounds Tennessee I think they win this game especially in the offensive glass there's so many things that you look at in the first Tennessee game and say well if Carolina doesn't shoot terribly from the free throw line and terribly from three and terribly from the field and turn the ball over a lot and get nothing from AJ then they would have won that game but Tennessee also did not play particularly well in that game. And Jordan Bowden went like oh for forever, run for forever. Um, it's a it's a with with Justin Manai guarding him. I don't want to say like chance at revenge for both teams because obviously, you know, Tennessee, Tennessee won. won that one. Rick I, Barnes I guess, has had Rick Barnes has had kind of South Carolina's number. He has, and it's been it's been in a lot of different ways. Like sometimes it's. They're just better. Sometimes they just have one guy that kills Carolina. The Admiral interestingly, Schofield. That first, yeah, the Admiral yeah. Schofield kind of game. And interestingly, last game, it was Jordan Fulkerson who went, I think, 15-10 that game. That's like the one kind of smudge on Mike Kotzar's Defensive Player of the Year resume. And that's, I mean, that's not a... Hey, that's huge. had a pretty okay... Yeah, yeah, he's been good. But it's like he's played a lot better big men and had a lot better game. So it's funny that that's the one that kind of sticks out. Yeah. So you, I, th- I think maybe Mike having a bounce-back game defensively and on the glass will be a real indicator of how this game goes Saturday. South Carolina hasn't beaten Tennessee since the final four year. That sounds right. Wow. So don't bank this game Saturday. Like I told y'all to the Georgia game last night, but still won the Carolina come on. Yeah. Uh, Bowden went one of 17. Yeah, one for forever. One but of 12 from three. So that's probably not going to happen again. 
Do you want Eve to Pond went 0 of 7. Yeah, like you're going to get a better performance from Tennessee. You're playing better at this point, too. You're kind of figuring out your identity. Kusnard's obviously your your mouthpiece and your kiss blower. So you feel good about where you are team-wise in terms of just what you're getting on a day-in and day-out basis. Other little bit of bad news. Again, this is such a hard game to predict because both teams are are so different even. and they're they're even. They're different now than they were, and they neither of them had great games then. So you still feel like it's gonna if they both have great games, it's still gonna be even. If they both have bad games, it's still gonna be even. That was only Santiago Vescovi's third game, and he was still turning the ball over. At, let's see, at the after that Carolina game, he was averaging seven turnovers a game, <laughs> and he still turns the ball over a little bit. But his last five games have been. Two, three, one, three, and three turnovers. So he still turns it over a lot, but he shoots a lot. He shoots a lot of threes. He also had eight assists against right. Arkansas. Yeah, he he does that. It's a, it's a lot of dimes. It's a lot of turnovers. It's what you get from a freshman that's in his like third week of college basketball. Right. Like. So you can't bank on those turnovers necessarily for South Carolina. I, I really I really don't know what to expect. I would say Mike Coates are defensively is going to be the difference, and how much scoring can Carolina cobble from its bench can. Can Jalen give you another six to ten? Can Jerry Bolden have a bounce back game in terms of his shooting efficiency? If if he has four, you feel like this is close. Maybe Tennessee wins. If he has a twelve to fifteen heat checky kind of game coming off the bench in twenty minutes, that could very oh, well yeah. be the difference. It's like Carolina needs one or two of these margins or marginal kind of performances from a bench guy to win this game, it feels like. Do you want to do reverse jinxes now? Yeah, let's do it. We haven't done that in a couple ones. I know. It's worked out okay. But yeah. I, I kind of I should have buried the lead a little more because I think y'all know where I'm going. You didn't go to no, it's a USC school of journalism tactic. You gotta I know get the get the lead up there in the the nut graph. All right, ready? which is an actual term by the way. Nut graph. Nut graph. <laughs> All right. Thought you'd enjoy that. Y'all uh, y'all workshop the jokes in the thread on GamecockCentral.com and the Insiders Forum. Yeah. All right, ready? All right. Are we doing three, two, one, then go? Three, two, one, then go. Okay. But I'm not gonna say go. You just go. You just go at yeah. that point. Okay. Three. Two, one. Jair Keyshawn. Bolden. Keyshawn, yeah. Not in terms of just reverse jinxes, but like... 12 and 6. Consistency, yeah. 14 and 8. Yeah. yeah maybe a couple times. If he goes 12 and 5 again with five rebounds and maybe one turnover instead of two, and hits four free throws again, feel pretty good about what you're getting. Jair is Carolina's Devin Cambridge. But fortunately, not so extreme because his, you know, he'll at least score yeah. <laughs> for the most part when he's not on. But 22 against Virginia, that was his kind of coming out party. 19 against A&M. He, oh, he missed that Kentucky game, that's right. Scored 13 against Vanderbilt. He had a nice 12 against Arkansas. You know, an important 12 points, obviously, because Carolina just wins that one by two. And then since then, five points, zero points, eight points, three points. Hasn't had double digits since that Arkansas win. And you know he can go off. He's yeah. he's kind of a microwave. He's he hits two guy. threes, and then he's probably going to hit four or five. Yes. That feels like he could be kind of the difference. And at home... Let me see. What, let's see. Arkansas had a good game on the road. Vanderbilt, good game at home. Uh, most of his good games have actually been on the road this year. So maybe shouldn't count on that. I should have done my research beforehand, but whatever. Jair Bolden, go have a good game. Make me look like I'm smart on Tuesday. Devin Cambridge just scored 31 points in six games after going off. Well, that was four scoreless games and then 21, and then he had, he had 10. 10. Yeah, that's right. That was a weird game. 16 nothing. Auburn was up early on Alabama. It was cut to four at half, and then Auburn had to win it in overtime. Their third straight overtime game and their fifth overtime game of the season. Glutton for punishments. SEC Tigers this year. It is. Yeah, let's let's break down the SEC before we get off. Yeah. Here, um, man, I just sound like Frank Martin there. Put my foot in my mouth. 
before before we get off, let's talk about the SEC. Um, Kentucky at nine and two in the conference. Auburn at nine and two in the conference. LSU at nine and two in the conference. Two game gap. Florida at seven and four. South Carolina at seven and four. Mississippi State at six and five. Tennessee at six and five. You have half the league within three games of each other. And a lot of matchups to be played between the rest yeah, of the South Carolina like, and Mississippi State have another game to yeah, play. Yeah, Carolina's got to play LSU and Mississippi State twice, and Tennessee and Alabama. Yeah. This could be almost completely flipped upside down seven games from now. Yeah. Okay. I don't expect it to be because Auburn and Kentucky and LSU were sort of at the top of the conference for a reason. But Florida, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Alabama, I'm not going to put A&M in there. I'm even hesitant to put Bama in there. And Arkansas, they're just four and seven in conference, but and like I said, they've been in a little bit of a free fall. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is with them. Would I be surprised to see any of those teams in any order? Not really. And South Carolina right now, if the season ended today, the they'd be the five seed. There you go. That's the best case scenario because you get to play another game, which helps you. The five seed and plays it's the best possible one. Like the eleven seed. And right now the eleven seed is five plays the twelve, right? And then six six eleven. And then seven, ten, well, and no, eight, nine. Thir- thirteen and twelve play. They're thirteen and it's like a weird because you have a the first round with two games, and then the second round. But two with, teams don't make it, right? No, two teams make it. Do they have like a playing game? For yeah, a, they have like one weird playing. Yeah, so twelve and thirteen play, and then eleven and fourteen play. Hmm. So if you're the five, yeah, if you're the five, oh yeah, oh, wait, twelve and eleven and fourteen and twelve and thirteen. Yeah. The two playing games. So the five seed will play the winner of the 12 and 13 game. And the six seed would play the winner of the 11 and 14. The two teams not make the baseball tournament? Yeah. That's okay, that's what it is. Okay. I, I, um, I knew I wasn't making that up. I guess so it's just not basketball. If South, <laughs> and, Carol- South Carolina would be the five seed currently because they would lose the tiebreaker to Florida. Then they would play the 12 and 13 seed. So the winner of that game currently... That would be the winner of the Missouri and Georgia game. Winner of Missouri and Georgia? You feel pretty good about that. Yeah, you feel confident. You beat those teams by a combined, what, 500 points? Yeah, it feels Approximately. They beat Missouri by, what, 26, 24? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Let's talk about the fact that South Carolina has seven wins in SEC play. Five have been by double digits, and the other two are considered quad one wins. It's pretty good. And the four losses, a 20-point loss to Ole Miss – a terrible loss to Tennessee that you should not have lost. Uh, a twenty-point loss to Auburn and a Florida. seventeen, sixteen-point loss or thirteen or whatever it was to Florida. Two teams that are going to be in the tournament in Florida and, and Auburn. Auburn, more than likely. Uh, Tennessee's that one hurts. That one sticks out. Oh gosh, Tennessee's, that one sticks out. Tennessee's an NIT team, probably. Um, yeah, and then the Ole Miss game. You know that one just. That one just stunk, but that's not one that you feel bad about because Carolina was never going to win that game, no. at least the way that it played out. They literally had God on their I know. The yeah. Did we make that joke enough when we did the Ole Miss podcast? I don't think we did. You mentioned it. I think it, it just once. Just yeah. once. We should have made that joke more. Missed opportunity. Also, I got another bobblehead last night. Oh, the um, it was a Nick Claxton Nick Claxton, yeah. I saw Mike Morgan talking about that yeah. on the podcast. So or on the podcast, bobble, the broadcast. Bobbleheads. That's pretty good. It's a good year for you. We're Maybe racking a, up. You think Mississippi, you think State, Mississippi State going to have one? Just an egg bobblehead? Mike Leach bobblehead. Oh. Would Mike Leach bobblehead night beat South Carolina? Be like South Mike Carolina? Leach is a bobblehead in and of himself. You better hope that Mike Leach isn't in the house, though, because that's like one oh. step down below Morgan Freeman in terms of good yeah. mojo for the team. Yes. Mm. All right. Well, 
You're going to be we at the Colonial Life Arena on Saturday. Yes. You're going to be in Starkville Split on double duty. Oh, Starkville's that's Wednesday, and yeah. then the home Starkville is on Tuesday. Yes, it's the only Tuesday. Not Tuesday. Right. I, I remember looking because it's obviously always Tuesday, Wednesday, and I was thrilled to find out that South Carolina was all Wednesday, Saturday for all of SEC play except for the final Mississippi State game just because it makes it easier for us to do this. Yep. It's like the week that we do Mississippi State the second time that podcast. That'll probably be on Monday. But anyway, that's behind the scenes talk. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast and everything on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Read Colin on GamecockCentral.com and follow him on Twitter at Colin Taylor the Y. Follow me on Twitter at Pearson Fowler. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the game this weekend and we'll be back on Tuesday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.